Are you a storyteller? Anchor is the place for you. Whatever sort of show you're hosting, from talk show hosts to audio drama producers like Red Hawk Radio Theater, Anchor is completely free. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, this is Satyajit Sarkar and welcome to the App Show Podcast. We have with us the creator of Kiss of the Dragon's Curse. Hi, thank you for having me. Please introduce yourself for our audio listeners. Uh, yes, I'm Gabrielle Freitas, and I'm a theater major here at Southeast Missouri State University. And uh, let's go around the panel. Uh, Clayton, would you like to... Hi, I'm Clayton Hester. I am the president of the Red Hawk Radio Theater, and I am the uh, the character of Damiel in this uh, audio play. And uh, please, Tabitha, you... Oh, hello. My name is Tabitha, and I play Trisla. And Anna. Hi, I'm Anna Myers, and I played Knight Number 2 and The Queen. Amazing, amazing. Uh, well, in the show, I play Enon and King. So, Elle, could you tell us how you got the idea for this show? Um, I was doing homework, and I was listening to some relaxing Celtic music, you know, those nice little three-hour YouTube playlists. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, hmm, dragons. And then I went, but what if the dragons were the good guys? And it just kind of stemmed from there. Ah, okay, okay. So then you slowly fledged out the, fleshed out the uh, idea uh, over a course of how many weeks or months? Like a month. Yeah, a month. Say? Probably a month, yeah. 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 Yeah, um, yeah I, I definitely just kind of came up with it as I went along. There were some points I knew from the beginning, but um, I, I didn't really know all of it. For example, I got to Act 3, and I was like, how do I break the curse? I didn't have him put an exit clause. Ah. So that was fun, figuring out how Damiel had to die. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's it's a very ragtag bunch of dragons that we got here. How did you come up with the uh, personalities, would you say, for, for each dragon? Because uh, in the story, each dragon is very different from one another. Um, could you give us a little uh, perspective on that, please? I think it had to do with what purpose they served in the story. For example, I kind of had a good idea of who Clarice had to be just from the fact that she did uh, carry the nar narration for the show. So I knew that she had to be the protagonist. She had to be kind of driving the show. Um, I have a younger brother, Alec, who I love very, very much. And I do not see brother-sister relationships being portrayed very often. In that is media. true. So I wanted to give her a younger brother. Um, Enin is very loosely based off of my brother, <laughs> but just the um, brother-sister relationship. Yeah, I, I could see the camaraderie and the sort of um, a playfulness that came with being Enin and uh, Clarice. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a very fun uh, relationship to play. Um, Clayton, as Damiel, the uh, antagonist, would you call that, Al? Um... I personally consider Suna the main antagonist. Um, uh. Clayton or Daniel is kind of more like the uh, hero of a tragedy. 
in that mm. he has a tragic flaw that causes him to cause the downfall of the other characters in the play. I see. Yes, uh, Clayton, as I was going to ask, uh, what was your experience like going through this story and finding out uh, the unfolding of Damiel? Well, I like it. I mean, uh, the character of Damiel to begin with is one that I kind of relate to uh, in the sense that um, he he has a clear and uh, enforced feeling of um, need to prove his maturity. Um, he's also a slightly neurotic, and that's you know. But I also like that um, Elle is what has created um, probably one of the, mo- the more gritty stories that we've done so far, which yeah. is kind of nice. Yeah. And like I've never, I, I I did I did drama in high school, and that was kind of my thing then. But always in you know the back of my mind, if I ever like went on to be do anything in acting just by happenstance because I wasn't ever brave enough to pursue it, but like. I would want to be typecast as one of those people that only plays villains. That's a weird thing to say. Oh, but no, it's I, not weird at I all. I love it. Like, it's like, you yeah. know, I, you know, um, I just think that the, those kind of people, that it's just such a cool way to be. I know that most people might be like, hey, I want to do something different for a change. But, like, that would be that would be my thing. It yeah. seems like it's kind of working out for me. In, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this, uh, this, well, you played uh, you played flow. Scrooge yeah. before, and uh, now, yeah. you, now you're Daniel. And I wrote uh, Rex Mundy in my first play for myself, so I was a, a villain there, too. He was like an evil CEO tycoon type guy, so that was, yeah. you know, right up my alley. But it's... <laughs> Being a villain. That yeah, be... so... Yeah, yeah, I like I like her description of him as more like a tragic figure, you know, a tragedy type thing. You know, somebody does something terrible with motives, mm-hmm. revenge, and so on, and that really backfires and leads to all sorts of conflict that needs to be resolved. So, yeah. Yes. Now on to Trisla, uh, Tabitha. What was your uh, experience with this character, and how did you come to? I guess no Trisla because Trisla is a very caring and nurturing sort of soul and she has she has the way of diffusing issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you expand on that please? Well, I'm usually not the kind to play like the caring type. I feel like I've sort of been typecasted at the college as like a misfit sort of. So it was nice to have that little change of being the caring and empathetic one. So I, I tried to have empathy for once. Well, I was reading my character, and it was it was different, you know. I I tried to think, okay, so we're the good guy here for once. What do good guys think? I don't know. Let's find out. Ah, I see. And there is a little bit of uh, spiciness between the uh, Daniel and uh, Trisla relationship over there. There's a little bit of a playfulness that's kind of you know lingering right up until the. Uh, unfortunate end of your character. You want to expand on that? Well, they they were feisty together, as you can tell. But, of course, we yes. never got to pro- proclaim our love to each other. So it's, it's tragic. Yeah. It is what it is. I like that whenever he's, you know, ranting about it at the end, it's like it was always Trisla and Damiel, Damiel and Trisla. And it's like, you know, uh, towards the beginning, he was like, wait, you you love me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, exactly. (laughs) That's definitely the idea of how, like, when someone dies, you, like, romanticize Mm -hmm. the idea of them. (laughs) He's kind of like, well, they also did have always a friendship relationship, though. I did want to emphasize that. But it is also the idea of, like, he's acting like they totally were a thing. He Mm -hmm. calls 
her his life mate, and they they never like agreed to that. Yeah, I mean, but like even in the beginning, we always uh, we hear it the way the way you intended it to be, Al, uh, as it being a little foreshadowed, uh, you know, mm-hmm. spiciness going on. <laughs> uh, Anna, as a uh, listener of this uh, of this story and being in it, you know, um, uh, even for like for the brief period as it was, just listening to it for the first time, what went through your brain and how did you go about um, being a participant of this? Well, I think everyone is just trying to tell their own story, and so this is like the like goal is to get you to look at different perspectives and so like the queen in the end is telling her truth about like what happened in her side of the story and to her the dragons are the villains but the dragons like when we see their perspective they also had a story and it was their truth is that they were not the villains and i think that's really interesting yes uh i would like to i would like to i would like to expand on that because you at the end really just kind of unraveled the whole human side of this um, war, I guess you could say, that's been going on. Because, honestly, it's been referred to as a war in the script, but it's kind of a, like a scuffle of, ah, I need to fix this. Because at one point, you guys got, uh, well, you guys as in the dragons got hurt without them retaliating. And then it, the later, uh, later the tables got turned on the humans. So, uh, you play the, the little girl who became the queen. So, in that story, what did you find the most interesting uh, in your character's arc? As fast and as apparent as it was. Um, so, the queen grew up in the eye of the public. And... I think she was kind of forced to feel this way about the dragons because she has her whole community to be the voice of. And this was like an attack on their community. So she has to be there to like defend their case. Mm. Yes, yes. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Because like, honestly, the way uh, the way that I saw it going down was you kind of rise through the ranks because you were just alone on the field and slowly you just, you know, rallied the forces and you know uh got the got the humans on one side to to in essence slay dragons i guess um yeah can i chime in with some author perspective here yes yes please um so at first the little girl was just um there's this quote about how if you want to show a war you don't start with the war you start with a shoe so she was the shoe. She was the thing that you could like focus in on to really see the devastation. Mm. But I realized that at the end, I wanted a storyteller to oppose Claire's story. The reason that the dragon story isn't told and the human story is. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if this little girl who was all alone and somehow survived became a queen, she would have the voice to uproot the story. Uh, I see. I see. Um, it reminds me of, you know, that photo of, uh, from the Vietnam War about, you know, the girl. Okay, she she looks at me with a glare because, like, before it was finished and I was writing and looking at this, I, I, I like, is this like an allegory for the Vietnam War? But <laughs> turns out it's not. 
Um, but um, <laughs> it could like be. an accidental, incidental thing. You know, yeah. like um, you know the the encroachment of the humans, like with their high ideals, could represent like communism, something like that. But uh, you know, like and they they kill the eggs, and so it's like you know it's it's like the innocents that are were hurt then, and you know fire and so on. But it's not. Um, but no, it reminds me of that uh, photo that's like encapsulates so much of like the the prize of like photojournalism of that girl that's like running through the the streets uh, naked in Vietnam. Um, I believe it's the setting is has to do with chemical warfare and something like that. But it's mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It's, it's iconic, and I can't really show you in this podcast. But it's you know that kind of idea that's there. Um, can I ask a question real quick? Um, so okay. So we've got a little bit of revisionist history here, right? So in a sense, like, because, you know, the real story is the dragon story, who are the good guys. So in a sense, you know, the victory, the victors have written the story representing the queen. Um, Mm -hmm. Are we to take it that basically, despite all this, the dragons end up losing if we basically say, this is happening in our world, there are no dragons anymore. So by implicating them as the victors, we're basically saying, you know, the dragons are gone today because they lost anyway. Also, did was Suna killed at the hands of humans? Um, Suna and the Queen wage um a war just against each other forever. Suna does eventually uh in my mind not included in the audio play <laughs> get slain by one of the queen's knights. Mm. Um as for the idea of the dragons and the humans, I think it's a long long time. I think it takes hundreds and hundreds of years before all the dragons um die out, but I do think they die out. I uh actually got part of this idea from a book I read, uh The Two Princesses of Bamar by Gail Carson Levine, Mm -hmm. and in it, um, there's a plague on the land, which is caused by um, a dragon that a hero has slain, and as the dragon dies, they release a curse. So, uh, originally, it was supposed to be that Trisla releases a curse as she dies, but I didn't think that fit her character. Hmm. So, um, but anyway, in that book, there are still, like, three dragons left. So, I just see, like, this slow slow demise of the dragons until like there's one left maybe there could be one in the world right now but we don't know it ah i see um okay and i had a question about um anon because near the end he really kind of matures i guess into uh, sort of just a very uh, i want to say more caring of the of the people around him because before he was only interested in what Clarice had to say but then when it got to Damiel at the end he was like do we really have to yes we do he he kind of had his own um I guess inner conflict going on what was the reason of Enon being the uh vessel of said inner conflict um, Enin, I just kind of wanted to show the process of growing up. There's that line early on where Enin says, uh, he asks how Daniel does what he's afraid of, and Daniel says that he doesn't know, it's just part of growing up. So I, I kind of wanted to show the process of Enin growing up. He was always kind of that 
voice of reason to Claris. I mean, at the beginning when he's like, why are you yelling at Mother Elder? That did nothing. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of wanted him to develop into that. Some of that was missing in like the first episode just because he was so young. But um, fun fact, seasons are just like summer, winter, fall, uh, spring. So Ah. eight seasons is two years. So he's had two years to grow up which um, isn't that much in Dragon Time, but it's two years under a curse, two years with extreme personal, interpersonal strife. So I wanted to make sure that it was clear that Ennin had changed over this time period because he wouldn't have been able to come out unscathed. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's true. Do dragons age extremely slowly? Like, Like, how does that work? I calculated exactly how long it takes for a dragon to grow up, and I don't remember. What? You actually went through this? Yes. I, I calculated how long it takes a dragon to grow up, but I do not remember what the number turned out to be. I'm, wow. I'm just thinking that could be a reason for their mortality, you know, like in terms of like they, they age slow. That's like not, uh, not Claris really. Claris had said that they don't have 400 seasons between them, and that's uh, 100 years. So I theorized that to become an adult – so about 20, that would be about 100 years. So, oh, doing the calculation again. So that would mean that, like, it takes, like, five human years for a dragon to get a year older. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, not very, that's not very good for natural selection, so that could be like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, like, baby Yoda's, like, 50 years old, right? And so... <laughs> and, Elephants, like, take two years to, like, gestate and, you know, like, those sorts of things. I also played with an idea of, like, uh, like they grow up really fast and then they just, like, stay for a while. But I didn't like that theory, so. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> um, what kind of world building did you put into this thing? Like, how elaborate was it? I think a lot of it came naturally. I wanted to make sure that the dragons had their own vocabulary. I wanted to rely on human vocabulary as much as little as possible but i used a lot of words that we use um in a different way for example proclaim so for us that's like telling someone something but for dragons it's a very serious thing you are making your oath and it's either like a roar or a trumpet so like Mm. like trumpet like yes yes i am doing this or you can like roar at another dragon and like i am going to fight you ah i see Uh, come at me bro yeah pretty much (laughs) And then there were different things, too. Like, I had paces for measuring and seasons for time. I just really wanted to make sure that there was a sense of otherness between the dragons and the humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was going to say that uh, the fantastical aspect of this story really kind of shined in in my eyes. Because, uh, I mean, not a lot of times writers give thought to really building up their world in a sense of how they want it to be and how things are heard, you know? And it, it was just a very cool thing to to sit and listen to because I knew exactly from line one how this world was going to work and, you know, everything was made clear the way it was written. And if you, like, chart it out, it's not as though... The um the world is so like mythologically dense as it's you know like the the world of like Tolkien ah. <laughs> and it's not so like simple that it's like Dragon Tales mm, or mm-hmm. and it's not like you know like as like un, as light and cheery as Dragon Tales either. Uh, <laughs> no, it, no, it, not it, even. It switches from a nice you know um 
like a raggedy juvenile, like yeah, yeah. like not juvenile, but like ju- like in the sense that it's young and like things are good. We're a hundred years old, life we're cruising through life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sort of sense. Like, uh, like yeah, we're just fooling around, doing our thing, mischief, and then it goes instant to. to yeah, the I hate meat. authors who do this, but I was sitting there and I was like, I'm going to lure them in with happiness, and then I'm going to wreck them in episode two. <laughs> Oh like, yeah, that that was the plan, and I felt really bad about it. But I was like, "This is necessary." It was a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, Trisla, on uh, well, Tabitha in this case, on your death, what were some of the emotions, and what were some of the things going through your mind? Because you you were kind of the glue that held everybody together, and then ne- suddenly you see on the page you're gone. So what did that what did that feel like? It felt good to die. <laughs> I never really like died before on like a show, so that was fun. But also like I don't know, it's good to know that I was wanted and important to the story. So yeah, I don't know, it's cool. I got to I was important and I got to die. <laughs> also, I'm gonna ask, is there any way a dragon could come back to life in your fantastical world (laughs) um i haven't given much thought to this i guess theoretically that could have been another way i could have taken this with daniel going off and trying to find a way to resurrect trisla with some magical spell Mm. but um except for the curse a lot of the magic in this world seems smaller the only other thing mentioned is like an invisibility potion so i just I don't know that the dragons would resurrect someone because they have that idea of the eternal hunting ground. Yeah. So it would be like taking them from their reward and like plopping them back on the earth. Ah. You'd hate to end up with zombie dragon girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> also, with the idea of the curse in this one, I had it like have a counter curse. So I feel like resurrecting a dragon would kill something else. Oh, okay. Gonna... okay. Yeah, that's fine. I would like to thank uh, L, Clayton, Tabitha, and Anna for being a part of this uh, After Show podcast. Once again, I am Sethi Jeet Sarkar, and this is Red Hawk Radio Theater. We are signing off.